at Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy uh, football camp is open week. Yeah, that is uh, that is the main thing going on in Syracuse land now that uh, Bayheim's Army sadly lost on Tuesday night. We are now fully and 100% focused on um, the upcoming football season. We would have been anyway. Um, that tournament wraps up this week. But nonetheless, now we are we are throwing ourselves fully into football and uh, and plenty happening in camp already. Some good and some uh, some not so good. Yep. Shout out to those guys for providing us a couple weeks of entertainment and looking forward to that next year because it always uh, does a really good job of getting through the the doldrums of the summer. But um, and actually, you know, it works out. Obviously, we would have preferred them winning, you know, being advancing on to, to tomorrow and winning, but. The fact that camp has like opened right at the end of the run there uh, really works out nicely. Oh yeah, it's perfect timing. I know uh, we've said that similarly uh, in the spring. Usually, um, you know, depending on how far Syracuse basketball gets um, in the NCAA tournament, it's nice that you know that kind of dovetails right into spring practice, which then dovetails into the end of lacrosse season. So really, for us, I mean, and this is the case for other programs as well, um, the off season really isn't. I mean. As long as Syracuse lacrosse goes as far as they need to or should be going um, in that tournament, off season for us really isn't isn't all that long. Um, when you consider you know how much work there is to do as soon as lacrosse ends with regard to football, I mean we basically start covering the the next football season, you know in, in February and March every year. So no off season, that's fine. Um, I, I'm very glad that we're actually going to be talking about real real tangible football games though in the uh, the very very near future, Dan. Yeah, just uh, just about exactly a month, I think. From we're, we're, we we start Friday, right? So we're actually a little less. Um, yeah, we are. What that's the first. We're the first. Yeah, we're the first. Cool. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we're right around uh, twenty nine days, I think. Um, and even you know, if you want to count those couple games on the twenty sixth, obviously Syracuse is not one of them. But football season's like really, really right around the corner. I'm actually. I'm, I'm going to be out of New York City every weekend up until that August 26th, so, like, it's just a loaded uh, couple weeks here, and, and generally these, like, last couple with, with you know, quarterback battles and um, stuff like that, like, just the, the actual, you know, finding out things about these teams and the build-up of the season, like, helps it go by a little faster than even, like, spring ball, where, you know, there's some news and you, you get some intrigue, but overall, like... You know, then you have to wait for a couple months versus this where everything seems to you know be building really quickly now yeah I mean we've, we've gone over the two deep uh, I think that you know some folks don't really buy into the two deep depth chart they think it, it really doesn't share much until you get a little bit into the season I don't see Babers as one of those types of guys um, I, I think he's going to actually use that for what it's for understands that if he's going to keep the media at arm's length on, on a lot of other things and at least giving them an updated depth chart um, is something worth doing. I know we've, again, we've covered that at length. Um, there will be a, a, a big change upcoming, however. Um, this happened, you know, late last week, so after our podcast. Um, Aaron Roberts, the uh, left guard, starting left guard for Syracuse, um, injured his knee, and he will be out for the 2017 season. Um, again, this is old news for everybody, but it's new news for the podcast. Um, Dan, this really sucks because the offensive line was a problem area last year and, and its its depth and experience this year, which uh, leaned on Roberts quite a bit, uh, was supposed to be uh, kind of a sign of, you know, upcoming improvement. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, he was one of the, the bright spots last year just, you know, in terms of playing a uh, young player, uh, playing, I think he played in every game last year. Start, did he start every game? He, uh, he started every game and he led the team in knockdown blocks. Yeah, so he was, you know, one of the, the best offensive linemen on the team last year, and uh, progression on that area, especially even though it's still going to be a young unit because so many guys had to place a different time last year was, you know, a focus in, of the offseason. Uh, so losing one of your main guys, um, 
it's it's rough. It's it's a uh, it's a really tough loss. Um, I mean, if you want to try to slap, you know, some lipstick on it, I guess the fact that it happened early in camp gives you time to prepare another guy. But overall, I don't think you're ever going to uh, sign up for losing one of your best offensive linemen uh, at any point. So hopefully he will come back better than ever uh, after this season. But not the best way to start camp. No, not at all. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Roberts is probably... Probably on the probably the worst guy to lose, to be honest, just based on what Dino Baber's team wants to do from a running standpoint, um, what we were in the limited time able to do last year. Again, Roberts really came into his own uh, for periods of last year. Uh, his performance in that kind of three-game was it three consecutive? In, in any case, that three-game stretch, you know, UConn, BC, um, and uh, and Virginia Tech, they're largely considered like the highlight of last year. Um, he really came through in those games, in particular the Virginia Tech upset. Um, it sucks to lose him. I, I know I mentioned in the article uh, when the news broke, um, one potential saving grace is that because it was at the guard position and not tackle, we're not going to be plugging in somebody who's completely inexperienced. Um, this is based on nothing but you know guesswork, but I, I think we're going to be seeing Colin Byrne in that spot. Um, Byrne played uh, extensively at center last year after, after Jason Emmerich went down. So at the very least, we're going to have somebody who understands this offense and is, is you know, participating in offensive snaps versus a lot of the other guys you're seeing um, on the reserve lines on that two deep who, uh, who have not yet played a college uh, snap, even if they've been on campus for a year. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that that's one of the, the nice things about what happened last year is that we had, did have to play so many guys probably like a year or two before ideally you'd want to, but now in this situation you do have a guy like Byrne who can step in, and, and I think we're all fairly high on him just overall, so hopefully he uh, he plays admirably and, and it just continues to pay uh, dividends down the road. Um, unfortunately, uh, still stinks to lose one of your best linemen, so... Hopefully that's not like a, a huge setback, but I'm sure uh, the coaching staff is not thrilled. Um, but most of the other stuff, I, I think, aside from the injuries, like uh, most of the other news has been pretty pretty positive so far. Yeah, I mean, I know we learned today that uh, Tommy DeVito was taking second team reps. I don't know if that's going to be a permanent thing or uh, if Babers really is just going to kind of toss him into the fire in the early parts of camp and just see what he can do. Um, I know DeVito mentioned from the get-go that he wanted to compete. I think that's one of the reasons he chose SU was that he'd had the opportunity to compete for the starting role. Um, so I, I think that, that at the very least, this is Babers, you know, just giving him a chance and saying, like, hey, kid, let's see what you can do. Um, I know he gained some weight over the offseason, and he's definitely coming in at a, at a better weight than, than he was at at the end of high school. That said, I, I do think that, you know, having a year under his belt to really learn this offense um, in real time and not just remotely, um, and, you know, taking a redshirt year, especially when you have uh, Mahoney in his last year, you've got Dungy, obviously, as a junior, and then you have uh, Rex Culpepper, who redshirted last year. I think having those, those three guys available at the quarterback position, with Dungy obviously starting, um, I think that that affords you the opportunity to, to redshirt Tommy. Um, I don't know how Tommy's going to feel about that, but I, at the end of the day, you know, I, I think it's it's – could be what's best for him and the team. That said, um, based on what we've heard today, it seemed like he was doing very well, um, you know, throwing to second-team guys, and it looks like he, he could, could play the part of starter sooner rather than later. Yeah, I mean, it, it is interesting. I, I don't think any of us are, like, too concerned about Dungey losing his job. Um, but, of course, he, you know, has his injury issues every year he's been at Syracuse, and... Uh, you do keep in mind, like, in the back of your head, DeVito is the guy that Babers recruited, not Dungey. So, um, I, mean, I don't think... I think Dungey will end up starting this year and starting next year, um, assuming there aren't any huge, crazy injuries. But uh, I it, I think it's very telling that DeVito is already taking second-team team snaps. Ideally, I would love for him to redshirt this year, and it might be a situation where, um, you know, if Dungey were to go down... break glass. Yeah, kind of like... Um, I'm like trying to think if uh, under Hunt. <laughs> yeah, except that was like a couple snaps into the season, so it was kind of a no-brainer. Um, but uh, I'm thinking more like like Jake Bentley at South Carolina last year, who like didn't or uh, the Ole Miss quarterback uh, Shea Patterson. Yeah. Um, so like a couple of those guys have, have, we happen to be on the SEC episode, but the two of the situations in, this, in that conference last year, 
um, where they, they really didn't play at all, and then the last, like, half, third of the season, you know, where a lot of coaches might have been more conservative, uh, and, you know, it turns out Hugh Freeze had no reason to be, um, but some coaches would have been more conservative and kept the red shirt on, considering there wasn't that much time, but instead they decided it was worth getting them, like, full game reps uh, and losing, you know, the extra full year. Um, so, you know, it'll be interesting to see if, if that situation plays out and, like, say it's week six and Dungey goes down, um, maybe we see DeVito uh, out there, but if it's just, like, mop-up duty or, like, if there are two games left, uh, I think we'd probably see Mahoney. Um, but you never know with Babers. I mean, he might be more aggressive and say, you know, the getting getting full live game reps as a starter uh, in meaningful uh, play might be valuable enough to... to risk the, um, you know, losing a full year, especially if you think that DeVito, who is obviously a pretty prized recruit and Elite 11 guy, um, one of the best, one of the top Elite 11 guys last year, um, if you think there's a chance he wouldn't even last four years uh, in terms of jumping to the NFL, since that's, you know, quarterbacks tend to know earlier now than they than they were did even five years ago, maybe maybe that's part of the thinking as well. Um, but I think we're all, we're all interested to see him... Um, I still like to think that he'll redshirt this year and get the full five years, uh, even if you know he were to leave early. Um, but I, you know, obviously it's all speculation. I, I think uh, Dungey's probably pretty secure right now. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. I know that you and I have been vocal about you know kind of tampering the talk about like you know let let's not anoint somebody the savior just yet. Obviously, he's a true freshman. Devito, it looked very good. I know I saw him live. Um, at the Elite 11 um, out here last year, and he did look, you know, really sharp, really crisp. Um, at the same time, though, like, drills and quarterback-specific drills are not going to be a substitute for uh, game experience, and, and, and Dungy, for, you know, e- even with his flaws in mind, um, you know, ha- has a lot more game experience under his belt, has a lot more game experience within this offense, which is not something you can easily master. Um, I, I think anyone thinking that, that DeVito is going to just walk in and take Dungy's job uh, without some sort of injury uh, playing in is, is, uh, is, is sorely mistaken uh, this year. Next year, uh, you know, TB, TBD, I really think it just depends on how Dungy performs this year and how the offense looks this year. Um, but I think we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Yeah, and ideally, like you like to have a nice, a nice quarterback handoff like that, so it could work out really well. And you know, if all things go according to plan, you have two more years of Dungy, and then you have Devito with three years of eligibility left. So I, I think that would be ideal. Yeah, and let's not forget Rex Culpepper either, who, uh, who looks, yeah. like, I'd say, probably the best of the quarterbacks um, in, in spring ball. To be honest, uh, and, you know, a guy who who had a really quality arm, he had SEC offers. Um, Anyone kind of overlooking him um, at this juncture uh, probably doesn't realize just how, how talented of a guy he is, and the only thing really derailing him from going to a better school, or at least considering more seriously offers from better schools, uh, was his injury that, that forced him to miss pretty much all of his senior uh, season. Yeah, I think one of the, the interesting things um, of the last coaching staff uh, into this one is like, they, they strangely left Syracuse with a, a really healthy quarterback situation, and obviously Babers has, has piled on with getting guys, uh, getting a guy like DeVito coming in too. But overall, Syracuse's quarterback room is has got to be like one of the better ones. Uh, I don't think there are that many Power 5 programs that Syracuse would trade with overall. Like, there are obviously ones like Alabama where you have five stars basically every uh, all over the place, and one has to transfer every year. But but in terms of like the, middle, the middling uh, part of the Power 5, like, I feel pretty good about where Syracuse is at the quarterback position, which is obviously the, the most important one. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is the best quarterback position we've had like as a, as a team in quite a while. Um, and I don't think that should be lost on anyone. I know I touched on it a few weeks back when I, when I previewed the quarterback position, but this is, this is one of the top you know, unit, quarterback units in the ACC. Um, and, and while it might not have – I mean, Dungy was very good last year, but also his season was shortened by injury. He had a couple down starts. Um, you know, while while he's not, you know, a, a top 10 to 15 quarterback, I think that the group itself is probably in the top 25 or so just in terms of depth, which is, not again, not something that, that we're used to, to seeing or saying at Syracuse. Yeah, you'd have to look, but, like, just the fact that you have Dungy, who uh, has been, you know, I think top at, at the top of his game is, is a really dangerous player. Plus, you have an Elite 11 um, 
you know, blue chip-esque quarterback in DeVito, who looks sharp already from what we've heard, plus Culpepper, who, if that's your third guy, well, you're probably pretty happy with that, considering he was a pretty good recruit. And then you have Mahoney, the, the wild card, who, uh, as a walk-on, you know, has done some amazing things and has played really, really good games against huge opponents. And owned um, several single-game records somehow. It's just like what did I end up like in like twenty years? Zach Mahoney is going to be like a fantastic uh, trivia answer for like a, a couple different things, and probably going to go down as one of the most beloved uh, non-starters in Syracuse history. Um, and his teammates adore him. So like, if those are your four guys, obviously you don't have uh, you know Sam Darnold, but you have four pretty. I mean, I think we'd all be pretty comfortable given what we know about them. Obviously, we haven't seen Culpepper play, and, and DeVito's you know, just out here, but I think we, we feel pretty comfortable with any of them going forward. You know, Even Mahoney, who's just so crafty, and you don't really know what you're getting, but it, somehow it, it kind of works. Oh, 100%. Um, a little bit more in football practice before we, uh, we laugh at Georgetown a little bit. Um, two of the bigger observations from today. I know uh, practice was only open for 10 minutes. Um, Steve Ishmael looked great. He had a kind of, you know, fluidity to his, his his route running and his catching ability that he didn't last year necessarily and he really does look the part of a future NFL receiver I think that's something you and I have talked about for for years now um, and then Ravian Pierce another you know podcast favorite um, seems like a guy who's going to create a hell of a lot of mismatches um, very quickly and I think the fact that you know you can see that in practice and people were remarking about that today in practice even in the limited time um, only spells good things for what should be a resurgent tight end position uh, for the Orange after several years of really not using it much. Yeah, I mean, Pierce has been kind of, you said, a podcast favorite. I, I'm super excited for him. Um, he just seems to be built in the mold of, like, that modern tight end who uh, is just, like, a huge mismatch weapon. Um, so hopefully we, uh, we get to see him do his thing this year. It sounds like he should be a pretty big part of the offense uh, right away. Yeah, I mean, you know, you and I talked about it at length in the last few years. Like when we had, well, we had Hunt who struggled with accuracy, um, and then you know in the early days of Dungey, it seemed like a no-brainer that a tight end uh, could be a great safety valve and someone close to the line of scrimmage. Um, that never really came to fruition. So <laughs> this year, like Dungey doesn't have the same needs necessarily as a season passer, but because you know th- this offense is all about a quick release. And, and getting rid of the ball, uh, you know, urgent, not urgently necessarily. That that implies it's rushed, but you know, it, it's a quick three-step and throw. Um, having a, a big tight end target like like Pierce, you know, who seems like he's going to be able to catch with his body um, and really, you know, again creates a mismatches uh, with both linebackers and, and you know defensive backs, you know, near the line of scrimmage. This is the type of guy that that I think, you know, Dungy's kind of sorely missed. Um, both in terms of uh, blocking, who I, I would assume that Pierce gets uh, deployed as a blocker a decent amount, um, and then also, again, as a pass catcher and you know, in short yardage situations where uh, Dungy's kind of been our best bet there. Um, and I know we, we actually uncovered a couple months ago some, some great uh, info on just how good Herb Phillips was in short yardage, but yeah, Dungy's kind of been our top short yardage option in recent seasons, and that's obviously, you know, some of our concern with his injuries, just how how quickly he's willing to to take on that role and then get get hit the way a running back you know would and should. Yeah, I mean, if he can just roll out to the to the right and pick up eight yards and pick up a first down and slide and not get hit, it's fine. Um, I think we all know that's not the Eric Dungy uh, game plan um, at this point, and it, it is really hard to train someone out of their instincts, uh, you can do, you know, he, I thought he did a little bit, he did better last year than he was as a freshman where he was getting killed every game, uh, but still obviously resulted in injury. So hopefully uh, this does kind of alleviate that uh, that need for him, although I don't expect that, that to ever, like, completely disappear from his game. Um, hopefully he's just smarter about it and, and is a little more picky about when he uh, does decide to break and chain. Oh, yeah, and I mean, when they talk to the strength and conditioning staff this, uh, this offseason, I know one of the big takeaways for them was just, you know, putting weight on Dungy because they're not going to be able to change everything about him. And you don't want to either. I mean, we've said it here even today, like Dungy's a weapon because he is a very capable dual threat and he, he's a big play guy, he, but he's not, he's not your short yardage guy. And, and that's something I think he, he sometimes confuses himself as 
and that's usually when those bigger hits uh, tend to happen. Um, Dungey last year seemed to do a much better job of of avoiding hits, not taking off too when he didn't need to um, in the early parts of last year. And then you saw like that first four games, um, he really didn't run much. And then the next four games, um, and coincidentally, and this is where the problem starts for us as fans and for him and, and, and the coaching staff. In those next four games, Syracuse looked much better as an offense. Uh, he was more productive as a player, and, and the team was winning uh, more games when he was running more. Um, so again, that kind of creates this tug, you know, tug of war for, for the coaching staff of like, well, you could let him run, except eventually it's something's going to happen. Um, but in the meantime, you're going to win games. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely an attractive thing because he is so good at it and he does have a feel for, you know, finding space and whatnot. But overall, like, you see it in the NFL and, and even with guys as big as Cam Newton, who's like, if anyone's built to run the football as a power runner at quarterback, it's him. And he, you know, is was obviously getting beat up last year and that was a whole storyline. So Dungey's not nearly his size. Um, and it just it's just more valuable to have him around for a full season. So hopefully we will get the full season this year. Um because it, 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 you know, has been some time coming here. Um, but uh, if not, we, we, as we discussed, there is, uh, that's why we have uh, this nice quarterback room. Uh, hopefully we will not have to use it. Fingers crossed. We have not, when was the last time? Last time we had a, one quarterback for a full season was 2012. Probably NASA senior year. Yeah, it was 2012. Yeah. It's, it's been a while. I, I could very much go for some stability at the quarterback position. Would be nice. Yeah. Um, all right. Switching gears to basketball, not Syracuse basketball, uh, very briefly before halftime. Um, for those who might not have seen on Tuesday, um, Georgetown announced that they would not be part of the PK-80 Phil Knight Invitational happening in Portland uh, at the early part of this coming season. Uh, Georgetown will be replaced by DePaul. Um, in their official statement, uh, the beginning part of it reads, the Georgetown men's basketball program is in the midst of an exciting time of rebuilding. Georgetown has a prominent seasoned coach who has begun this process, which will begin to develop this fall. Um, okay. Now, I, I did Google, and I put this in the article, I did Google the phrase, exciting time of rebuilding, and almost every result ever is this statement. Because that's not a thing. Am, am, am I wrong here, Dan? Um... I don't know. I guess I guess hope does spring eternal once in a while, uh, but no. I mean, it it was like a, a bizarre. A, it's bizarre. I don't remember any team ever pulling out of one of these like this. I'm sure it's happened once or twice. But um, what this tells me is uh, Georgetown realizes that it's not going to be any good this year and uh, didn't want to go play four games against uh, teams that are a lot better than it. And DePaul is apparently less afraid of that fate, uh, even though it is DePaul, and we've known what DePaul is for a while now. Well, I think um, they know what they are at this point, though. Yeah. <laughs> this actually shows a great amount of self-awareness. Yeah, um, so I wouldn't feel great about the first year of the Patrick Ewing era if I was a Georgetown fan, because um, it does not sound like the program in early August uh, has any real belief that will be competitive at all. So, uh, have fun, guys. Well, considering that Patrick Ewing almost committed a recruiting violation on day one, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't be... <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be, like, super bullish on, like, his, his short-term future. I feel like long-term, Patrick Ewing's probably the right guy for the job. Um, and I know we've talked about this at length, so I'm not going to rehash that. Um, Ewing was a player that I, I liked when he was on the Knicks, obviously, because of my own preferences there. But... You know, I think he deserved an NBA job um, in recent seasons uh, when he was up for, for several of them. Again, he, he's probably the right call here. It's just a matter of when. It depends if, if because he's not a Thompson, um, he gets the, the leash to be able to, to rebuild this thing correctly. Um, I just think it's funny that the Georgetown statement really buys completely in on the rebuild, like with not something you usually say like out loud. Um, and then not only that, but, um, like forgets that like John Thompson, the third started that rebuild process accidentally. And now Ewing is like potentially, you know, guiding the upswing. Like 
there's just a large scale assumption that a like you decided to rebuild and that like Ewing is already in the process of rebuilding as a quote unquote seasoned coach. And by seasoned, he means he's just been sitting in the same chair for the last few months, I guess. Yeah, I mean, to to their credit, like Ewing has coached, um, not as a head coach, but he's been an assistant for a long time. There are people who thought he should have gotten NBA looks. So it wasn't like he came out of nowhere, like like Chris Mullen last year with St. John's, who, um, you know, just hadn't had any coaching experience. And then for the first year, it often looked like he wasn't really the de facto coach. Um, obviously, they got a little better last year, and they've beaten us, which is annoying. Uh, but... Um, Seasoned, I think, is a little bit of a stretch considering he hasn't actually done it uh, as a head coach. So we'll see. I, I wouldn't expect much of him this year. It might work out down the road because I assume that recruits know who he is and uh, that he can sell his alma mater fairly well. But um, for, for 2017, 2018, uh, I think it will probably be more of the same for Georgetown, if not, uh, if not worse. Uh, because, again... You uh, you create these basketball schedules aren't like set in stone years in advance like football like you they make them um, in the months leading up and I forgot when this tournament was announced but I'm pretty sure it was after Patrick Ewing was announced as head coach so it wasn't like Georgetown was locked into I mean I could be wrong but I'm I'm fairly certain Georgetown wasn't locked into this event uh, before making its coaching hire right. so I that all that being said I I think Georgetown in the last couple of weeks. Uh, seeing workouts and whatnot, realized, hey, we're going to be pretty, uh, we're going to be pretty trash. So let's not go play the uh, upper echelon Nike schools in a tournament and just get beat down for a week straight. Uh, that might not be the best look. I mean, good lord, this like this field. Like I hadn't looked at the field before yesterday. It's a lot. <laughs> Michigan State, Duke, Butler, UConn, Gonzaga, Florida, North Carolina, Oregon, Texas. Like, that's just, like, skimming the surface of the 16-team event. I mean, this is one of the best, if not the best, uh, you know, early season tournament that's ever been. Um, I also don't understand why there are two Big East schools and two ACC schools. And- not, it's, not a full, it's not a full bracket. I think there are two separate brackets, no. so they won't be playing each other. No, well, that's better how you get a more stacked field um so yeah that's a scary field um georgetown is running from a fight i know when i mentioned some of that on twitter some georgetown fans got very mad online um i don't really care i mentioned in the article that you beat us twice in the last two tries uh, <laughs> so i'm not i'm not talking from a place of, of having complete lack of awareness and Georgetown fans, on the other hand, seem to be talking themselves into this being a, a sign of great things to come. So, um, take take of that what you will. Uh, sure. I mean, if this was football, maybe it's the right decision. So, um, unfortunately, it's basketball. So, I, I don't know that swapping these games out for uh, whatever they fill it in with will pay great dividends, even if Georgetown goes like, you know, 17 and 15 or something. I don't know that the... The four wins against uh, whatever Miak drags, uh, yeah, uh, will will adequately replace even the losses to Kansas and Duke and whoever else uh, you would have faced. This is true. Um, all right, why don't we go a little bit of halftime before we jump into some uh, SEC football? Sounds good. What have you been drinking? Uh, not a lot of creative stuff this week. I had some Dales, I had some Vita, I had some, uh, more of the, uh, what I had last week that was, what's in the fridge? Some Stolpin, some Elysian, so kind of just what I've had around. Um, haven't had a chance to go look for new stuff, although I'll be in Massachusetts this weekend, so I'm really hoping it's in Treehouse, because I've only had them once or twice, and it's, uh, their IPAs are really, really good, so I think my, one of my... Uh, main missions in the time down I have, uh, in the downtime I have, rather, uh, will be to go find some Treehouse IPAs. Best of luck, sir. I, uh, they are not easy to find from everything I've heard. Yeah, I'm in the general area, so I think I might have luck, but uh, we'll see. Fair enough. Um, some things for me, actually drank quite a bit this past week. Uh, had some snuggle bug at Smog City. I've mentioned that one quite a few times before. It's a raspberry and boysenberry sour. It's delicious. Had a uh, had Yorkshire Square uh, down in Torrance. Their uh, Castle Dangerous export stout. Had uh, from Celador Ales up in uh, Hollywood Park. 
Their uh, Fleur de Masamoto is a nectarine sour. It was super good. Had a Divine Reserve number 17 from St. Arnold, Baltic Porter, uh, bourbon barrel aged. Had a uh, Summavitas, it's a brewery Tarot uh, sour. Some Beechwood Citraholic. Had some Hopular Mechanics from Beechwood as well. Super uh, kind of citrusy IPA, which is you know par for the course from them. Uh, had a uh, from Brewery Tarot. Had a Sans Pajai. I, I always forget how to pronounce that. It's French, but uh, yeah, it's a uh, cherry sour that's super super tart. But luckily, has become less like enamel melting in the last few years, which is appreciated. You can only deal with so many of those before you're uh, you're headed down to Heartburn City. So uh, much obliged. Uh, also from Celador, had a raspberry saison that was super good. Uh, it was a monkish and a jolly pumpkin uh, collaboration. It was a uh, apocalosynopsis. It was a uh, lime and uh, I believe blackberry sour. That kind of was oddly refreshing. And I had a Smog City coffee porter. And that was everything. Good stuff. Yeah. Um, so now we talk SEC, Dan. Um, I know we like to try to avoid these guys, uh, rightfully so, because the SEC is kind of boring on a week-to-week basis, but maybe, maybe the chaos underneath Alabama actually yields something interesting for once. Yeah, I actually think the SEC is going to be, um, I think Alabama's the clear number one. Um, but after that, I do think the SEC is uh, a fairly interesting lead this year. Um, I think they actually have a couple quarterbacks, which uh, is new. They don't usually care about that position. Way to go, guys. Um, yeah, congrats. Um, like, and, and not, not just like a few. I think most teams have at least an interesting quarterback, if not a, good, uh, a great one. Um I think there's a fair chance that a couple of the West teams could push Alabama, maybe not all year, but on a weekly basis. Um, and the East is not great, but super intriguing. <laughs> like, it, it, a lot of things to happen in the East uh, that wouldn't be totally shocking. It's the um, it is the Coastal. It's very Coastal this year. Um, which, it, it, you know, it, in the past, like, usually, like, Florida or Georgia stands out, or, like, there's their tiers... Um, you could really talk yourself into a lot of things happening in the East this year. I would love to talk myself into Vandy, um, but I just, too many things have to break, and that team still doesn't have an offense. Yeah, Ralph Webb, I can't wait for starting with, with Vandy. Ralph <laughs> Webb is really good um, at the running back for Vanderbilt. Their, their quarterback, whose name is escaping me at the moment, even though I read it, Shermer. Yep, Kyle Shermer. Shermer had an interesting a talent deficit with them um, between them and even like even like the South Carolinas or the uh, Kentuckys of recent vintage as Mark Stoops has recruited well like there's a big gap there offensively they're really good because Derek Mason's uh, just a very good defensive coach um, offensively I just think they're too boring now they might like make uh, you know sneak sits wins into a bowl game which would be a nice step for them but um, I've seen some people trying to promote them as like a upper upper path SEC's team and I struggle to see it, but you know, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't be like the most ridiculous thing if they stuck in. I mean, I know it's not definitely the upper half because there's seven teams, but if they had stuck like a fourth place finish, it wouldn't totally shock me. If they finished fourth, it would have to be like four and four, and that would include like South Carolina bottom, South Carolina and Missouri bottoming out in order for that to happen. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be like four and four, and like those teams just don't play up to potential, and. Which? I think those two teams probably are higher ceiling, probably lower floor than Vanderbilt, I think. Yeah, just because the, the, the raw talent on the team. I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily know what to believe about Missouri under Barry Odom because I'm just... Under Gary Pinkle, Missouri was by and large consistent, um, and I just don't see that here under Odom now. It's just... They're, they're too bipolar. There's too many. I just feel like there's too much change year to year, and, and they're just really not a consistent product on the field. Um, I don't know. I don't watch them enough to know if it's a coaching thing. The only game I watched, like, in earnest last year was the, like, MTSU debacle. Uh, that was also a fun-as-hell game to watch. 
So uh, I would definitely put that in my like top 15 to 20 from last year. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't know what to think of Missouri. I think that, that last year's kind of course correction um, towards an offensive attack is an interesting one for the East, and it actually creates a little bit of an advantage when you look around the rest of that league. I mean, like we said, Vandy, um, I think Kentucky is largely kind of a ground-and-pound type team. Uh, Florida is what they are. Like, you know, they're just going to function on offense, I guess. And Georgia has some questions if, uh, if Nick Chubb can't, you know, return to, to the heights that he's experienced. I think for Missouri, like, that, that's an interesting advantage. But if you can't stop anybody, again, when you have so many good defenses in the division, it becomes very hard to believe. Um, that said, you know, Mizzou's great. Drew Locke's back unless something stupid happened. Um, and, yeah, I, Mizzou could be fun, but like you said, it's – Higher ceiling, higher floor, but I think that ceiling this year for them is still probably seven or eight wins at the absolute most, and probably a four-win floor. Yeah, I I bet on four before I bet on eight. It's just Same. yeah, I just think that even with them, like they they have probably more talent than Vanderbilt, and they have you know some, there's some interesting things about them, but I just think uh, I think Georgia and Florida end up gonna end up being the top two teams, which is no real surprise, and, and not that. Uh, crazy. Obviously, there there are still some variables there, especially at quarterback for both teams. Um, I just trust them the most. I think they have the most talent of all these. Uh, Tennessee, Tennessee is like the weird wild card for me because they lose so much from last year. Um, and but you have you know Butch Jones is probably coaching for his job, um, despite the fact that they've recruited top fifteen level for the past like three or four years. Basically, since he got there. Yeah. Um, but then that's that a bigger black eye about how little they've accomplished in that time. Yeah, no, it's tough, especially last year, which was like, oh, that was a season for Tennessee. Uh, they had Josh Dobbs. They had a very secure-laden team. And all of a sudden, um, you have Jalen Hurd, uh, Hurd transferring mid-year. And, you you know, Kamara was great, but he's off to the NFL. And, and Dobbs is obviously gone. And uh, it's just like, it's like a weird rebuild, and there's a lot of talent. But, like, they just didn't show enough with that, that quote, stacked, unquote, roster of seniors to then make you feel comfortable about who's filling in for them um, the year after. So uh, it's um, – I'm, I'm definitely interested to see what, what happens with them, but um, I'm also, like, kind of interested to see uh, just what the future holds for that program piece. So they're definitely in a better place than when Jones got there, and he's the first first coach in a while to, like, since Fulmer, really, to have them, like, consistently be, being decent. But um, – Two coaches with such bad hires. Well, Kiffin, you know – like took the money and ran right away, and then Dooley was just atrocious. Um, so like Jones is definitely a step up there, but you do you do get the sense with how well they've recruited and and so much hype over the last couple of years that they, there is something lacking, and that's before you add in like the murmurs of off field stuff and and just like the g- general like weird not being able to win a big game ness of of his whole tenure. Yeah, I don't really understand that. He's not the only one to suffer from it. Um, he's coaching for his job in part because of, I think, some off-the-field stuff, to be honest. Um, I feel like Tennessee and plenty of other athletic departments who are willing to look past a couple things here and there if you're winning. Um, I, I think that if he drops to, let's say, I think 7-5 and five is, is the ceiling. 7-5 uh, is the floor, excuse me, for like what he can do and keep his job. Um, if he falls below that mark, I, I think he's done, and and that uh, that would create quite a bit of tumult in Tennessee. I don't really know who would grab that job, um, just because. I mean, we've talked about this before. Like, there's just a there were so many great coaches that that decided to move on last year that I in the last two years especially that there's really a very short list of guys available this year and i'm not i don't know who really fits tennessee best and i know that's really early speculation but it that that fit question i feel like for for, for knoxville in particular is, is a critical one yeah it, it tennessee's an interesting job just in general because they have a lot of history they have obviously huge expectations Complete um, lack of awareness of recent history well yeah <laughs> um like uh, it, it, look, 
that was a weird moment for me just now. Um, I don't know about lack of awareness for Reese Nestor, but you'd think that like you'd be you'd understand that there's a process, like you don't just jump back to where you were um, under Fulmer uh, after two bad coaching tenures. Um, but then you then you uh, take into account like last year, like even if you you don't you didn't have Tennessee going to the playoff last year, they beat Florida, they beat Georgia, they were five and zero. Obviously, they had some like pretty tight games in uh, Appalachian State in Week One. Um, Georgia was basically a miracle, uh, but you know things were rolling. And then you lose to A&M, who was quite good last year, and you lose to Alabama, and that's fine. Like that, that's gonna happen. But then you lose at South Carolina, which had just been maybe just found itself in terms of being the so mediocre team it ended up being. But the wheels, yeah, you can't lose three in a row, and then you recover a bit, but then you lose at Vandy. Vandy wasn't good um, last year. Like you just can't do that. If you had finished ten and two, if you had pulled out the Vandy and South Carolina games, you finished ten and two, you can feel really good about that, and you can go into this year saying, you know, it's it's likely a step back. Um, but if they win seven games this year, you know, we, we still feel good about Butch. The fact they finished eight and four, um, given how they started last year and just the mounting. Uh, recruiting uh, success that they've had and, and all the experience, like it almost makes I, I can understand why you feel like that nine and four season with a, a, a nice bowl win but nothing great and a couple of really bad losses might be like the peak of what you're going to get in the Butch Jones era. Now that might not be accurate, um, but I can get why, why a Tennessee fan would be disillusioned by what happened last year. I mean, I'd fire him for, for not knowing how to use Alvin Kamara alone last year to be honest <laughs> but, but i could understand why that's an irrational viewpoint yeah i mean i thought kamara was probably the better back almost the whole time uh and obviously he was thrust into the situation where that's all he had and, and it ended up working out for him but um kamara as anyone who followed the nfl draft process realized like was super dynamic and just really was never put on the in the pedestal that he probably should have been considering you know Heard was just kind of a, a, a bruising back who, you know, had some nice moments and had a role, but was never going to be the same kind of dynamic player that Kamara was. Well, then also as a result, he didn't have the mileage on him that a lot of backs, especially in the SEC, you know, go into the NFL with. Yeah, that too. Which is advantageous, especially given the churn of, of running backs now in the NFL today. Um, switching over to the West a little bit. I know we were talking about Syracuse being really stacked at a quarterback. One team that is oddly stacked at quarterback right now, and it's not something that like usually happens to them. They're usually like a one guy only. Uh, Auburn. Yeah, um, I'm really bullish on Jared Stidham, the Baylor transfer. Um, he looked phenomenal in their spring game, and obviously that only means so much. But you know, he was doing against the Auburn defense, which was really really good last year. Um, he was good at Baylor when he played, uh, which was in basically filling in for Seth Russell, and then he got hurt, and that's when we got to the Baylor uh, running the the, the wing uh, in their bowl game. Um, but he was, uh, you know, a five-star freshman, I believe, uh, or recruit, rather, and then played as a freshman that one year for Baylor. Uh, it, I think probably made, like, four or five starts. Um, I'm way in on him. Um, he fits the Malzahn system really well, probably better than anyone since. Uh, probably better than Nick Marshall, considering Nick Marshall was, was kind of a fly-by-night uh, insertion at quarterback when he took over and they went to the national championship that year. Um, but definitely since him, maybe since Newton, um, he's, you know, a bit, a bigger kid. He can run. He is a really, really nice release. Um, it would not shock me if he ended up being the best quarterback in this conference, uh, by, you know, mid season. Oh, I buy that completely. Um, but yeah, you look even past him. Like I think he's got the job, but it, it, if you look past him, I mean, you know, white Sean, John Franklin, just like two guys who. I love, I love White Sean. <laughs> credit to uh, to shut down Full Cast for that that nonsense because that's the best. But yeah, it's so good. Yeah, and you know, like he wasn't amazing last year, but like, given what the offense really was, like when he played. I mean, he completed sixty four percent of his passes. He threw for almost seventeen hundred yards. He threw nine touchdowns, like versus just three picks, like. In the SEC, you don't necessarily have to do much more than that. Um, I mean, Franklin, a little more questionable, but still, you've got like you've got three guys who who have started games. You could potentially, well, sort of started games, 
and could potentially lead the offense. I think it's just a question of, you know, how how much faith Malzahn wants to put in um, in Stidham right off the bat. And I think I think Stidham's proven himself. I think not even just the spring game, but just what he did at Baylor. Um, they're an exciting team, um, and they're one that could potentially challenge. Um, Alabama, I think because of when that game takes place with the Iron Bowl, it's so late in the year that Auburn could potentially be rolling. Um, and an Auburn team with momentum against Alabama usually is a hell of a lot of fun from game standpoint, even for you know unaffiliated fans like uh, you and me. Um, I think if, if this team can spread Alabama out the way teams that have beaten the Tide have in the past, like again, that Iron Bowl is going to be a hell of a lot of fun and it could potentially decide the SEC West. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd be weighing in on that, uh, and not just having Alabama uh, march to the uh, SEC West Championship. Uh, it, it, it'll be tough because Auburn will need to, you know, find itself early. Um, they have a very, very interesting game at Clemson in Week 2. Last year, they almost beat Clemson in Week 1, and they honestly might have done it if Josh Belzon didn't, like, forget how to coach uh, the quarterback position and was switching guys in and out, like, every couple plays, and it was one of the most baffling things I've ever seen. Um, I watched a game at a bar, and I was just angry. Yeah, I, I didn't care like if Clemson won or lost. It was just it was so ridiculous how Mel, Melzahn was using his quarterbacks. Well, I wanted Clemson. Um, to yeah, I would have fine with that. But just the fact that he like didn't let anyone get any sort of rhythm at all, like it was, won. and they still almost won because their defense is awesome. Uh, they lost nineteen to thirteen. Uh, so they played them week two this year. Clemson is going to be a bit of a rebuild with with guys like Watson out. Obviously, we're not going to preview them now because we have them next week. But two weeks. Um, we, we separate the ACC into divisions. Okay. <laughs> we have them two weeks. Um, but either way, like, that could be a really interesting one because Clemson will still be really good and talented, and that's at Clemson. Um, I'm assuming it's Clemson's first, like, big game coming off the national championship since they, yeah, they opened with 10th State. Um, not quite a big game. Uh, but um, Auburn will probably have the edge of quarterback, uh, assuming Stidham is who we think he is. Um, and if they beat Clemson, then they, then they, they have a, a nice like kind of progression from from there they have mercer at mizzou mississippi state who is interesting but they'll obviously be favored especially at home Ole miss and then they go to at lsu on october 14th so they they really build potentially potentially if they beat clemson um before at lsu at arkansas which is a tough back-to-back but like they really have a chance to to kind of build this season um versus like getting caught early but obviously winning at, at clemson even with no deshaun watson and no mike williams and whoever else Kind of tough test, so we will see. I mean, everyone's super high on like whatever Clemson tosses out there, quarterback. I'm fine with it, I guess, but I don't. That Clemson defense is obviously very good. And again, we're going to talk about Clemson in the future, but I just think that they might not be ready that early in the season for what Auburn's going to be able to throw at him. I mean, Stidham did a lot of things in a, lot, in a very short amount of time at Baylor. Um, and I would expect him to be able to do even more uh, with some more weapons around him, especially in the trenches at, at Auburn. Um, yeah, I, I could definitely see the Tigers and, and the Auburn Tigers starting 5-0 uh, starting and oh and really getting kind of the hype train rolling. Um, that wouldn't be a first for them. Uh, but, yeah, they would they'd be my dark horse here um, conference-wide. Um, Again, I, I, it'd be stupid to pick against Alabama until they prove you otherwise, but um, Auburn could, could be a team you could, you could kind of talk me into here. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very predicated on Stidham, but, like, I pulled up his stats from 2015 when he played for Baylor. Um, he played in the first seven, ten games of the year, mostly in, in kind of spot duty for Russell, he played. Uh, he threw ten passes against Kansas, uh, which was I think they were up like a million. They up by one sixty six to seven, so it wasn't like an injury fill-in. Uh, he was nine for ten for one hundred seventeen yards, two touchdowns, and then he had a couple more like one pass weeks, and then against Kansas State is when he like really took over. He threw for four hundred nineteen yards and three touchdowns with no picks against Kansas State, and essentially his I'm guessing his first start. I assumed he started that game, and then he had a respectable sixteen for twenty seven for two fifty seven, two touchdowns, two picks against Oklahoma. Which, you know, in essentially your second career start against one of the best teams in the country, not bad. They lost by 10. Uh, and then 12 for 21 for 258 uh, and one touchdown at Oklahoma State in a 10 point win. So, like, that's pretty good for 
uh, a true freshman. Uh, he will now, I think he joined Auburn um, maybe even during the season last year. I mean, he's been there since spring at, least, at, at, at worst. So he's had a chance to kind of absorb the system, and he fits it really well. Um, he didn't really run that much at Baylor, but that's definitely part of his arsenal based on his, his high school uh, tape. So, uh, again, he's very, very dangerous, potentially, and this to be a very fun Auburn team, which, you know, however you feel about the SEC or how you, how you feel about Auburn, when Auburn's fun, like, they are very, very fun. Could not agree more. Um, switching back over to the East, Dan, what do you think about Kentucky as a potential SEC East contender? I know I've seen murmurs of that uh, quite a bit this offseason as everyone's looking for kind of the, the off-the-beaten-path story um, among the power conferences. Um, I, I don't feel comfortable with it. Uh, they're, they're definitely getting better. Um, they made some nice steps last year, rebounding from a couple bad losses and uh, making a bowl, and they've recruited well, uh, especially for what Kentucky has been historically. Um, I don't know. I just think that they're, they're, enough, they're far enough behind the, uh, the two big teams in the East, and you know, even Tennessee could potentially hold them off. Um, I'm, I'm just I'm not sold on them being a true division uh, contender, but wouldn't shock me if they finished like third. Yeah, I'd buy that. Didn't they finish third last year? I think they did end up finishing third last year based on like tiebreakers. Yeah, I mean, second half um, of the year, Kentucky was one of the better teams in the SEC. So. Yeah, and they they returned a bunch on offense. Uh, they have, I think most of their offensive line intact. Um, so they're an interesting team. Uh, they're definitely better than your you know run of the mill Kentucky team. Um, it wouldn't shock me if they went like four and four, and and I think a lot of those team, a bunch of those teams, will end up kind of in that area. I mean, the schedule is kind of fun. Not gonna. Uh, let me look. I actually haven't looked at the schedule for them. Yeah, open at Southern Miss, which is not an easy game. But at the same time, like if you avoid getting tripped up there, you then go back home to host Eastern Kentucky. Uh, you face one of your easier opponents, in my opinion, South Carolina on the road. Um, Florida is really like the first big game to circle. Um, I don't think Kentucky's going to beat Florida finally, but even if even if they don't, they, I mean they have a real chance to start like seven and one here. Yeah, and I'm looking now at the Eastern Michigan versus Mizzou. But at Mississippi State's tricky because Mississippi State is interesting, especially with Nick Fitzgerald kind of exploding at the end of last year right. at quarterback. Um, going to Starkville won't be easy. But, or, uh, but, but you know, obviously, Kentucky, if Kentucky can stay within ten points of Florida, then that Mississippi State game looks infinitely simpler. Especially, com- it's coming off a bye. Yeah, you'll sign for the two Mississippi schools being your two West uh, crossover games for sure, which is what they have. Yeah, and like who knows? Like if Kentucky beat Tennessee, then Jones is definitely getting fired um, like that week. Um, you got Ole Miss. Really, like the season could like if, if even if they lose to florida this season could potentially for kentucky come down to the last two games at georgia versus louisville um one of them for just pure pride and the other one for potentially the division uh, depending on what they do um, in those earlier games yeah i'm almost being talked into now like kentucky <laughs> i i'm not gonna pick kentucky to win like nine games but I'm it's like kentucky. certainly it's certainly not the craziest thing in the world. I, I, I do think, like, what we saw with them a couple of years ago when they had Florida basically beat in, over, I think, double overtime, and then they lost to Florida, and then they just, like, fell apart. Um, I do think the 31-year uh, losing streak to Florida has to be some kind of mental block for them. Um, hopefully it's early enough in the season, it's week four, for them to not get totally derailed if Florida beats them. Um, maybe Florida but, like, getting fired. <laughs> Yeah, uh, maybe. Well, I don't know. Florida's won the East both of the years. It'd be kind of aggressive to fire him. I don't think they care. I yeah. Think, I think if he managed to lose to both Tennessee and Kentucky in a two-year stretch, I don't think anybody would care. I mean, it depends on what he does elsewhere. I, I, they wouldn't fire him in week four. Um, but if, if Florida was to, like, go sits and sits this year, I think there would be some, some definite uh, pot-banging. Um, of course... Uh, I'm, and Florida's really interesting now because they, uh, for the first time since Will Greer's uh, untimely suspension, like they have a, a potentially a quarterback uh, in Malik Zaire, who Notre Dame transfer, who had showed some real, real flashes in Notre Dame. Unfortunately, he got caught up in Brian Kelly also losing his mind for the quarterback position last year and never, you know, it should have just been Deshaun Kaiser's all year. And instead, they did this back and forth thing, and no, no quarterback was really allowed to 
uh, kind of get footing. Um, it does sound like it'll be Zaire's job in Florida, and he's very talented. I don't know that he'll, you know, turn them into a, a contender to beat Alabama in the championship finally, but um, Florida's defense has been really good for years now. It should be. I, I think Zaire is good enough to be an upgrade. Obviously, we thought this about like Everett Golson filling coming in to to replace uh, Jameis Winston, and thought that you know I thought that would go a lot better than it did, and it was pretty bad. Um, Zaire uh, is who ended up replacing Golson at Notre Dame and displacing him. Now going to Florida State rival. It's actually kind of like fun symmetry. Um, I don't know. I think he's just an interesting player because he's been on the college football like. Landscape. He's been in the landscape for so long. He had that awesome game against LSU at Notre Dame in the bowl game, where he basically beat them. Um, they'll split a little bit in that one too. Uh, and then he looked really good uh, the year, the next year in 2015, before he went down week two or three against Virginia. And then last year was just such a disaster at Notre Dame. It's hard to even judge him on that. So there's a chance he's like awesome, um, but also like you did. There just isn't enough out there on him. It's not like. Like, even Stidham, I think we have more of an idea about than, than Zaire at this point, even though Zaire's a, a fifth-year senior. Yeah, by that. Uh, that Virginia game has so many, like, interesting parts of college football, like, in the last couple of years, in it, like, alone. There was the very iconic uh, fan, like, collapses into a heap over the wall. That was, like, Deshaun Kaiser's coming out party. It was the end of Malik Zaire as, like, as Notre Dame starter. And also, and it was arguably like, you know, the end of I'd say the beginning of the end of, of, of you know, Mike London at UVA. Like, there's a lot of things wrapped into one game. Yeah, I don't know if London would have kept his job if he won that game, but it would have been, been. It's possible because they did seem to want. Um, and it would have. I don't. Dan, I'm losing you. Nope. I'm losing Dan a little bit. Dan, you there? Hello? Yep, I'm here. I think some, uh... Some technical difficulties are occurring. Luckily, we're not live. Oh. Dan, Hello? gotcha? Yeah, okay. sorry. And we're back. It was only like 15 seconds there. Yeah, you'll all live. Anyway, um, for the last bit here, I wanted to talk about LSU. Um, just because Syracuse is facing them, it's worth mentioning them a little bit. Um, and then we'll kind of give our picks for, uh, for the SEC. Um, Dan, LSU is super talented once again, but, like, the, the main question for them is going to be, like, do you buy into Ed Orgeron? Um, and do you think that Matt Canada is more than a one-year wonder? Um, considering, like, he was not really that great when he was at NC State. Um, and then one year at Pitt really kind of turns him into this, you know, wonderkind out of nowhere. Um, I'm, I'm unsure. I do think that is funny. Like, Canada was okay at NC State. He wasn't great. He went to Pitt, and, like, Pitt's offense went crazy last year, which, you know, he does deserve some credit for. With a lot of seniors. <laughs> With a lot of seniors and a good quarterback and some good running backs, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I thought it was a, a good hire for LSU. I think he's, you know, your Dave Aranda on defense is a better hire. Um, Dave Aranda is one of the probably three best defensive coordinators in the country. So I, I do appreciate that Canada does seem to be able to adjust to the uh, teams he takes over. Like, he hasn't had a lot of time to establish offensive identities at places, but he, he makes do with what he's given. Um, and he was almost so, Syracuse's offensive coordinator. Yeah, another, like, what-if um, possibility. Like, it could have been a much different... I mean, he, he's definitely better than what Syracuse had under <laughs> Stout Schaefer, so... Well, I have uh, been, but that's besides the yeah, point. That's true. <laughs> um, yeah, he definitely, like, knows how to run an offense. Um, I also think, you know, LSU is interesting. Darius Dice is great. Um, he was basically just as good as Leonard Fournette last year, honestly, and Fournette's amazing. So Dice uh, is being, I think, pretty rightfully touted as a potential Heisman play, uh, candidate. Um, had some crazy games last year. Uh, quarterback, still a major issue. 
Um, I am not totally buying in on uh, Danny Etling. No. Um, he's at best, I think, uh, a okay game manager. Um, he's a decent SEC quarterback. Yeah, he's like a, a decent SEC quarterback before the SEC started to like actually get quarterbacks. Right. Um, I think he's probably in the bottom third this year. I mean, if you just I'm just looking at it, like I would rather have. Georgia's, I think I would take Georgia's situation. Obviously, uh, their guys haven't like totally panned out yet. I'd rather take a shot with Zaire. Um, I don't really know what Tennessee's situation is. I'd probably rather have Jake Bentley long-term. Um, you know, he's right around in Shermer, Luck. Uh, and then Alabama, I would definitely rather have Hurts and Tua Tagovailoa. I would definitely rather have Stidham. I'd rather have Allen at Arkansas. I'd rather have Fitzgerald. I'd rather have uh, Tetsan M is uh, who's starting there now. Oh, they have the transfer from... No, Night's Dawn. They, they have the transfer from Oklahoma. Is he starting this year? Maybe. Uh, Tyler Murray? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's starting. I don't know if I'd rather have him, but, like, there's a good chance he's better, and then I'd rather have Shea Patterson for sure, he's, so... He's super small. Tyler Murray? He's tiny. Like, I, I've met him. <laughs> he's very small. He's, like, 5'10". Yeah, like, I, ta- like I, I, I don't even think he's 5'10". I think I towered over him. And I'm not, and I'm not even 6 feet tall. But that's besides the point. Um, one thing I know, we were talking about quarterbacks here. Um, you mentioned Geis and how terrifying he is. Um, just for people who haven't seen the stat line on him, uh, 183 carries last year, 1,387 yards, 15 touchdowns. It's a 7.58 yards per carry average. Um, given the Swiss cheese that Syracuse's defensive front has been of late, um, I'm terrified of, of, of that just being rammed down our throats for 40 carries. Yeah, he's uh, he's he's a problem. <laughs> yeah. Um, if we lose, that's why. <laughs> no. I'm looking now. I, I don't see Kyler Murray on the roster. On the roster, is he? Oh where is he? Was he at A and M? Did he transfer to Oklahoma? Did did I have it backwards? Oh yeah, no, you did have it backwards. Okay, yeah, okay. He's at Oklahoma now. He was at A and M. A and M has uh, Hubenak, who started a couple games last year. And uh, who else do they have? Uh, Kellen Mond, who I think was a decent recruit. And so it sounds like it'll probably be Hubenak, I'd have to, if I had to guess. Um, I'm trying to sort this, uh, this roster out. Nick Starkle, who was a retro freshman, I think he was a decent recruit. No one huge, though. Uh, Hubenak was like, okay when he played last year. All these guys just sound like Friday Night Light like character, like connections. <laughs> They all sort of, what do you want to call this kid? Um, yeah, so, I mean, but I still don't know, like, what it, I, Danny Etling and Jake Hubenak are the same person. Like, so, Jake Hubenak I just, is from Georgetown, Texas, so automatically a problem. Oh, God, he's out. Put in Kellen Mond. Um, so, I guess, again, last thing on LSU, and then we'll move on. Um, what do you think this team can do this year? Again, obviously... Assuming that Orgeron was the right guy for the job, and assuming the candidate is able to get more out of the skill position players um, than than Les Miles was for, I'd say the much of the back half of his tenure. Um, I, if you get a decent decent quarterback play, uh, this could be a really good team. I, I don't. I feel like they're just too similar to Alabama in terms of construction, and they're just not as talented. And Orgeron's not Nick Saban, so I I don't see them being able to pass Alabama. But I do think they could be a 10-win 10, 10 team. Like, uh, it, that wouldn't shock me. And I do think Canada will be better than whatever it was that LSU was doing in the last couple of years under Les Miles. Yeah. There's a reason that Camp Cameron got, got fired by Orgeron. Uh, There's a reason Camp Cameron shouldn't have been. That was a bad hire from the beginning. Right. Like, that no, it was, never made sense. That was bad. I, I couldn't tell you anything about a Camp Cameron offense. And, and, and if, that, if I can say that without looking anything up, then, then that's a problem right off the bat. I know they had really talented receivers that they couldn't get the ball. Yeah, like the LSU basically turned into uh, Georgia Tech in terms of like churning out NFL receivers, uh, <laughs> despite them not being used in college, which is not ideal. Um, but yeah, we uh, we want to wrap up here with uh, picks. Dan, who uh, who who you have winning the two divisions, and who do you have winning the uh, championship? Uh, so despite us talking about Auburn for like 10 minutes uh, and really wanting to pick them, 
I do think it'll be Alabama. Um, I just think they're just they're so loaded. They're such a machine at this point. Um, it wouldn't shock me if they if they suffered a loss, maybe even two, uh, down the stretch or some point here. Um, but odds are, I just feel I feel best with Alabama winning the uh, West. In the East, um, I really like the backfield that Georgia has. I just don't feel quite as strongly about their quarterback situation and. I'm, inter- I'm intrigued by Zaire enough to pair him with the Florida defense that's been there for, for years now, uh, where I think we'll get another Alabama-Florida matchup, uh, as exciting as that is. Yeah, I'm I'm trending toward that, too. Um, I think Florida gets in by, like, some sort of tiebreaker scenario um, over Georgia. I almost talked myself into Kentucky earlier, to be honest. Um, I know I almost achieved that with you as well. Um the Wildcats could play spoiler to somebody this year. Um, but, yeah, I, I've, I think I've got the Gators again. Uh, that defense is too good. Um, I just don't really believe in any of the other teams um, in that division enough. I think there's too many what-ifs, and I think Florida has the least what-ifs in, in, in the, the ultimate what-if division. Therefore, uh, let's go with the Gators. And I've got Alabama winning the conference. I think they go about 12-1. and one. And, uh, and grab a two-seed in the playoff behind USC. Yeah, I, I think Alabama will be back in the playoff, uh, as they are every year, because uh, that's what Alabama does. It's the Alabama Invitational. Yep, even if they lose, they will be they will be present, um, as any SEC champion would be. Um, but I, I'm all for uh, riding uh, Team Auburn this year. Um, they might be my, my SEC West rooting interest, just because I do think there's a potential for them to be like way, way fun, so... Hopefully someone pushes Alabama, and it's not just like them steamrolling to the championship. Yeah, SEC, let's uh, let's get on that. Um, and that was our SEC preview. So, Dan, thank you, as always, for joining. Much obliged. Yes, sir. Thank you, uh, thank you for hosting, as always. Of course, of course. Uh, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk, on whatever other service you may use. And uh, go orange. Go orange. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.